Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. Today's reading is from Isaiah, book 50, verses 4 through 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me who will declare me guilty. All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This next reading is from Mark, book 8, verses 27 to 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, and he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rises again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thanks be to God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. 
I will be reading Swedenborg, New Jerusalem, verses 15 and 17. Since the joining together of goodness and truth is like a marriage, we can see that any good loves what is true and that corresponding anything true loves what is good. Each longs to be joined to the other. People in church, sorry, people in the church who do not have this love and this longing are not participating in the heavenly marriage. This means that the church is not yet in them because the joining together of goodness and truth is, is what makes the church. The relationship between what is evil and what is false is the inverse of the relationship between what is good and what is true. That is, just as everything is the, excuse me, just as everything in the universe that is in accord with the divine design goes back to what is good and what is true. So everything that violates that design goes back to what is evil and what is false. Furthermore, just as what is good loves being joined to what is true and what is true loves being joined to what is good, likewise, <coughs> excuse me, Likewise, what is evil loves being joined to what is false, and what is false loves being joined to what is evil. Thank you. So I'm going to say something that is probably not going to be news to most people. Good and bad don't get along, believe it or not. The two actually, in decision-making, cannot exist in a person's heart at the same time. No matter the size of the decision. Also, no matter what the actual outcome of the decision is. You can have somebody do something that's really nice, and it can seem... Maybe not loving. It can seem that way. Sometimes you can have someone do something that isn't very loving and it can seem very nice. In this day of uh, questioning what truth is, that makes truth a little harder, a little harder to deal with. But truth is different from fact in my mind. So sometimes, when you have someone who's struggling in this battle of good versus, we'll call it selfishness. Some people don't like evil, right? Evil sounds bad. Who hears evil? No one raises their hands for that. Who here might have a tendency from time to time to do things without considering other people? Right, that's much easier, right? A lot of people can raise their hands. So we're not going to use the word evil. We're going to use the word selfish or self-directed. So sometimes when our loving God and loving other side comes into contact with our love of self, we get irritation. And that irritation can come in the form of anger. 
I think we know, it's a feeling in the gut. Most of us know it, right? When, when things don't feel right and, and we start to get a little bit more angry, we get a little bit more upset, we feel that annoying burning inside of us. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. But before I do that, I want to talk about moths for a little while. Anyone here a moth expert? Hopefully not, because you might correct what I, I found if you are. I, I will acknowledge my source. I used Terminex's website to find out about moths. <laughs> Sorry, I used a <clears throat> commercial provider of rodent pet and pest elimination services. I am not giving Terminex any business. What I found interesting is, you know, our Bible verse says, like the moth that eats clothes, right? Did you know that moths don't eat clothes? They don't. In fact, mo moths, in general, can only drink liquid. It's one of those little things. Moths are not ferocious monsters that are going to come and bite you unless you are a diet soda or something. I don't know. The thing is, the larva that becomes the moth, those suckers, they eat clothing. The larva. So just like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, there is a worm that eats your clothing. What they actually like, for anybody who, uh, who cares about bug science, keratin. Keratin. Keratin is a fibrous protein commonly found in hair and natural fibers. That's what they eat. These little, so you're, the stuff that's polyester doesn't get touched because it doesn't have keratin. But your clothes that has keratin does. If you have anything else like sweat, hair, skin flakes, anything, anything like that get on your clothing ever? Yeah, it eats that and will potentially eat clothing that doesn't have keratin in it because it's trying to eat that. Fun things about moths, right? Moths and adult moths only get nourishment through drinking. Yet, I'm guessing that most of us, when we walked in here today, thought that a moths were the culprit, that we're eating our clothes, right? And I'm guessing when you go, anyone here ever had a moth problem? I had a moth problem once. Ate through some of my sweaters, nice cashmere sweaters. That feeling of irritation that you find when you pull out that sweater and it has that hole. And you thought to yourself, did I dry clean it first? How did that little moth get in there? So I looked into this. How do moths get in our closet? The number one source is through uh, when we buy clothes. Either uh, they are higher through stores where the clothing is previously used. But generally speaking, um, I'm guessing most people here have not been in textile warehouses. They're not happy places, but moths love them. So we get these things. Now, here's the thing is it actually takes from larva to worm 
more time than you'd think for these things to get to the point of being able to eat your clothing. There is a very simple solution to stopping moth infestations in your home. Anyone want to know what it is? Clean. Just clean. Vacuum. Vacuum and clean. And wear your clothes and wash your clothes. So do you know the places where these little moths really devour clothes? Those closets that you don't touch. Do anyone have closets like that? I don't have a place right now that has a closet that would allow me to do that, but I used to have a closet like that. That's the closet where we put stuff to forget about it until next season. Your main closet doesn't necessarily always have the infestation. It's that that dark background closet. Now, what if I tell you, and some of you might not be surprised by this, Moths in Swedenborg have a a symbolic meaning. Moths in Swedenborg are about falsities of the external. Now I'm going to unpack that because that's Swedenborg language. Basically, these are things that we do in our day-to-day lives that do not necessarily agree with who we are as a person. So let's say we, um, claim to be a loving and happy person and we commute to church one day and find ourselves blocked by a ferocious, ferocious, monstrous parade. And what happens when we do that? We start getting upset, right? We feel that anger burning. When we start feeling that anger, it's irritation. But what is it irritation from? Is it irritation because God hates us? Is it irritation because we're even doing anything wrong? But there's irritation there, right? We start getting upset. Our temper gets very short. We keep saying to the kids in the back seat, this is very stressful for me. I need you to be quiet. That's, That's what happened to my kids on the way into church today. This is very stressful. Please keep quiet. I need to figure out how to get to church. I have donuts. (laughs) I want to be a person who is reliable. I want to be a person that people can count on, and I don't want people coming to church and not having their donuts when they're supposed to have donuts. If I did not have those donuts, I would not feel angry, but I was in a situation where I was going to be late and I was going to fail to bring the donuts when I wanted the donuts to get there. I was having this temptation and an irritation. And it was making me grumpy. That is the moth devouring our clothes for Swedenborg. Now one of the things that I want to say at this point, because oftentimes people, well we come to church and we really want to say the big things. And that's okay, big things are important. We really want to talk about, you know, human trafficking, uh, ecological disasters, um, all the big stuff. But my mother once told me a story of a teacher, and I'm not sure how many, maybe some of you have heard her tell the story, I don't know. But she had a teacher once who asked all the students in the classroom, what is 
the biggest evil you struggle against. And students are always going for extra points, right? So they're trying to one-up each other on what's the biggest tragedy in the world. You know, oh, it's human trafficking. No, it's environmentalism. Oh, I'm just making things up. They're all doing these big things. The teacher said, mine is to make it that I just don't kick my dog when I get home. I'm not saying he was a mean guy, but after the long commute from Boston to wherever he resided, the dog comes up and is trying to jump up on you and you just want to put maybe your briefcase down. I don't know how the man dressed. He, was, he worked in the 70s. Imagine a 70s man. Whatever hat and coat and jacket 70s man wears, he was trying to put that stuff away. The dog was jumping up, and what is his response? I don't have time for you, right? And tries to push it away with his foot. Moths lay 300 eggs. These little moments of irritation, the dog jumping on you, the I'm upset about traffic, here's the great thing about them, right? They don't stop with you. See, when I get testy at my kids saying, stop talking, I need you all to be quiet because I'm trying to figure out what to do, well, then they come maybe to church and they're grumpy. And what does their grumpiness do? Maybe they're grumpy at each other. Maybe they aren't friendly towards somebody. The grumpiness spreads. Like a moth eating away clothes and, or sorry, like a larva worm of a moth eating away clothes and then the adult moth laying 300 eggs. It spreads. It spreads in a way that you can't really know. So our reading from Swedenborg today is, is full of this language of marriage, of good and truth, and all of these great big thoughts. And here's my thing. The spiritual journey is not a journey where you are battling North Korea or Russia or all the problems of the world. Your spiritual battle is a spiritual battle that is as mundane as trash and whether or not you choose to smile at someone in the morning. Smile as a spiritual practice. A note, wherever you get ready, wherever you drive, that says, today, I am going to smile five times before lunch. Now, here's my argument. Some people may not agree with this. My bet is, if people smile more toward each other, that larger problems are going to fall in line. That's not to say we ignore larger problems, right? It's saying, how much easier is it to discuss the big stuff when you've smiled at the person already? Right? Our spiritual journeys are not always the big things, but we focus on the big things. We want, we want to say that we're a good person because we are a part of the right political party that believes the right political things that actually have really little significance to us on a day-to-day -day basis. But what about being the person who's willing to say, I did my darndest today to do what was right. The little things, not the large things. In our gospel reading today, Peter rebuked Jesus. He wasn't being a bad guy. 
But he was instantly upset when he thought, I'm not going to have Jesus next to me. And he instantly started rebuking him, saying, no, that's not going to happen. We won't let that happen. We're, we're going to do all these wonderful stuff. And Jesus said, no. Things have to happen this way. And I need you to get on board. Inside Peter was one of those moth moments where he was irritated. He was fighting the urge to try and figure out what it was he should do when he was upset. How about in your lives? What are the places of the moth devouring you that you may not realize? What are the devilish thoughts that you have in closets that you don't want to share? What are the things that you know that you're just holding on to that is making you feel uneasy and upset? Those are the places that need regular cleaning. When the Lord tells us to pick up the cross and follow him, this does not actually mean you need to do everything that Jesus does. Most biblical scholars know this. It's symbolic. It's saying you need to live a life that embraces a certain thing, which is doing what you are supposed to do and not doing the things you aren't supposed to do. Jesus is really about asking us to look at those little moments and ask us what is the right thing to do, the proper thing to do, and make it part of our habit. How many habitual substance users, smokers, or other things, how many of us, when we're faced with the problems of our day, say, boy, I need a cigarette to get through my day, or I need a drink to get through my day? We see it on TV all the time in popular media. Guess what? That, that inner conflict there is not solved by chemical substances. Chemical substances either only ignore it or push the problem away. That's a form of putting something in a closet and saying, I'm going to deal with it later. The fact of the matter is, we know our body, when goodness and falsity come in contact, our body lets us know. We feel ill. We feel the burning sensation of conflict. The cross itself is symbolic of that conflict. And what does it mean to deal with life in the face of that conflict. A smile. A simple smile just feels good. Saying please and thank you instead of just barking at people feels good. There are very simple things that respect other people, that love other people, that care about other people, that when you do them, they just feel good. Our spiritual journey is about cultivating those moments. Because the more we cultivate that moment and transform how we face our neighbor, the more we transform the world. So please let us rest our hearts and our minds on that which God says is eternal, which is love.
and not on the fabrics that we put on to hide who we really are, which decay and are devoured by moths. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.